All right, what's up, Salt Company? How are we doing tonight? Just getting the voice back from the Ozarks, just in time. That was a heck of a weekend. To all of you who went, hopefully you don't have trench foot or pneumonia or anything worse. That was a, we survived a tsunami together. That's the memory that we're going to have going to the Ozarks. Um, welcome to Salt. If you're new, a special big warm welcome to you. We are thrilled that all of you are here tonight. Um, and we're going through a series where we are aiming at true freedom. Okay, that's what we are setting our aim for tonight, true freedom. And this is what lies in our way of that true freedom tonight. The sins of gluttony and overconsumption. Mm, gluttony and overconsumption. Uh, gluttony, what is that? Like habits of excessive eating. Okay, overconsumption, kind of habits of excessive everything else. All right, some of the most neglected sins for sure, can't say I've ever preached on this before or rarely been to a church service where this stuff is talked about. It doesn't get much airtime, but our aim is for full freedom in Christ, not mostly free or just free enough. So we are going to talk about it and we're going to see if Jesus would meet us here as we open up his word tonight. Um, and I came across a quote uh, this week and kind of preparing for this. And it was one of the most profound quotes I've ever heard in my life. It, I think it is continuing to change my life, even as I stand up here right now. Uh, and you're going to want to get your pens ready, okay? Here is a quote from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon himself, one of the most profound and recorded uh, sermon givers, pastors of all time. And this is what he says. Um, there is hardship in everything except eating pancakes. Let me read that again so you can have time to write it down. There is hardship in everything except eating pancakes. Um, man, I love that. There's kind of an idea here that I think you, you kind of get where I'm going. Um, life is hard, right? Like being you is tough. Living in this day and age is tough. Being a student right now is tough. Times are tough. Being a Christian right now is very, very tough. Sometimes it's just good to feel good. Amen? Sometimes you just want to feel good. Front row gets it. <laughs> what is it for you? Right? Like for Charles Spurgeon, there's hardship in everything except eating pancakes. Personally, I can't eat very many pancakes. Not the biggest dude. I, some about the carbs, I don't know, syrup. I, I can't eat that many. Drink a lot of milk, I get full real quick. Um, for me, it's not that. Maybe for me, it's a, I don't know. Everything in life is pretty tough until I can just go crash on the couch and turn on Netflix for the rest of the night. Mm. Review a good movie. Um, what's, what's, what's yours, right? Like what is your comfort zone? What is your accept blank? Is it, is it pancakes? Is it food? Is it binging Netflix? Is it social media? Is it that gaming chair with the little headsets on? You know, you know get with your squad online. Is it online shopping? Is it being an extrovert and socializing until everybody else is asleep? Like what is this thing for you where there's hardship and everything except blank? What is that comfort zone? And whatever it is, I think this is probably more important than we think at first glance. Okay, what's at stake tonight is more than like kind of cute or funny habits that we think everybody kind of just has. What's at stake tonight actually is us potentially following other gods that are not the real God and actually becoming enslaved to them. 
Uh, John Piper, Pastor John, he, he defines gluttony and simul- I guess simultaneously overconsumption kind of as this, a craving for food that conquers you. Right, like a craving for something that actually conquers you. There's nothing cute about that, is there? And so as overlooked as the sins of gluttony and overconsumption are to us, they can't stay that way tonight. We gotta talk about them because as we know by the pancake quote, this is not gonna be an easy task. And the reason that gluttony exists or overconsumption of easy things, the reason they exist is just because of that, because they're easy, right? They're easy, but Christian, when were we ever called to what is easy? Jesus offers us a light and easy burden, absolutely, but here we are still following a crucified man who was murdered as a criminal with a cross upon our own shoulders, trudging up a hill. And don't get me wrong, there is joy on top of that hill and there is joy available with every single step, even with the cross on our back. Absolutely, but there is a strong headwinds of lies that is trying to push us back and keep us from moving forward that we have to deal with. Lies of the easy life, the comfortable life that actually leads to no life at all. Here's the big idea tonight of gluttony and overconsumption. It's this, Jesus is a better king than your stomach. Plain and simple. Let's say it like it is. Jesus is a better king than your stomach. And we're gonna look at three things that kind of make sense of this big idea tonight. Um, First one being your appetite is not the problem, sin is. Secondly, that we should stop listening to your stomach, it'll kill you. And finally, start listening to Jesus. He loves you. Okay, so the first thing we're going to see is that your appetite is not the problem sin is. Okay, this is what I mean by that. It is not a sin to be in need or to have real hunger. Some of you, like me, very hungry right now as we speak. Anybody hungry right now? Like you could just use a big burger? Yeah, totally. Me too. Sounds great. That is not a sin, but sin enters the picture when we fill ourselves, like we try and fill those longings, those desires with what we ought not to fill ourselves with, right? The Bible is explicitly clear that there is a God who takes enjoying food and pleasure very seriously, right? It's crazy. I mean, I'm just, I wrote down just a few But it's crazy when you start reading the Bible and you start seeing all of this language of God talking about enjoying him, talking about enjoying even food that he lays out for you. And the Bible is full of it, stuff like Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Not enough just to know cognitively about this God, but taste, see that the Lord is good. Or Psalm 36, 8. The righteous, they are filled from the abundance of your house. Let You let them drink from your refreshing stream. You can feel it in your senses. Okay, John 4, Jesus says, drink of me so that you won't thirst anymore. John 6, Jesus says, eat of me and you will not be hungry anymore. Isaiah 55 and mirrored in Revelation 22 says in one of the most beautiful ways possible, it says, come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. You without silver, come, buy, eat, Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest foods. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 says it like this. So whatever, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do everything 
for the glory of God. This is a God who does not minimize our desires, minimize our appetite, but says that he is the ultimate source of their satisfaction. The Bible's full of it. God feeding, delighting, and satisfying the deepest longings of people. So where have we gone wrong? Where does the problem come in? Well, the prophet Jeremiah paints a great picture of what sin is actually like. Like what is actually going on with sin? Jeremiah 2.13 says that my people, that God's people have committed two evils, okay? They've forsaken God, the fountain of living waters, right? The place where all their satisfaction was gonna come from. They have forsaken God and they've actually begun to dig wells, cisterns for themselves, So here's a free gift. Nope, I'm gonna do it myself. And the problem is we don't have living water and we can't find living water. And actually the best we can do is a broken well that doesn't hold water. That is sin. Gluttony and overconsumption are ways in which we believe the appetites of our flesh and not the God who actually knows what's best. To put it as simple as possible, God is the one who created us. He is our designer and our creator and he gets to tell us what human flourishing is actually like. You can't say it's like God created us in a garden and he decides what flourishing is like. He set us with a bounty, a feast in the beginning and we turned away from him. But he plans to bring us back in revelation at the end of all things to a wedding feast of a lamb and it is gonna be great. But God not us and our appetites, decide what human flourishing is all about. Okay, what would you do if you saw this? One time my sister saw this. She was getting gas in a small town in Iowa, and she saw a Prius owner, a Yaris, or a Fit, one of those things, a Cube, one of those, like, you know, one of those cars that looks like a Hot Wheel. Like, she saw him pull up, and she's getting gas, and this pump only had a diesel pump. Okay, like, only, yeah, right? And, like, you can see where the problem is, like, it didn't fit into the Prius. Like, it was like, what the heck? And my sister's just sitting there watching this and I felt like I was there with her. She did a good job telling me the story, but it's like, oh, that's so funny. Like the Prius wasn't made for that. And so she puts the gas thing back and my sister's about to go, but then she sees the woman run inside and come back out. And she had just purchased a funnel, a plastic funnel in the gas station and comes outside, puts the funnel into the Prius and starts pumping diesel into it. What would you do in that situation? Like, your conscious flare, like, oh, I should probably do something. It's not there. Well, my sister didn't. She just let her do it, I guess. But y'all would have done a better job. I would have for sure, right? Um, but you would stop and say, no, 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 what are you? That's not how a Prius is supposed to run. You cannot fill your car with just whatever you want. You can't just go get a gallon of milk and pour it in your car and expect to make it home okay. In the same way, we don't fill ourselves however we please, am I right? God knows what we need and he actually cares deeply. Your appetite is not the problem, but your appetite might actually be pointing you to the answer. Okay, so C.S. Lewis says like, you know, like, hey, ducks weren't created with a desire to swim unless there was something called water. In the same way, God's beloved were not created with desires that God himself will not satisfy. But here comes the subtlety of sin, right? Whispering lies in our ear that one more drink won't hurt. One more season of Grey's Anatomy tonight. 
Never seen it, but I've heard people love to binge that. Literally, I hear you guys going, pss, pss, pss. like, are you joking? That's your, like, literally sounds like you guys are pretending to whisper. Um, like, one more of this. One more of that. One more hour here. One more scroll to the soldier. And it just goes on and on, whispering lies that that won't hurt anybody. When in fact, the small compromises of gluttony or overconsumption are actually callousing our souls one drop at a time and are actually making it far more difficult to impossible to actually enjoy this God who wants to satisfy. And so we keep going back to these broken wells. Forsaking God is our source of satisfaction. This is the path of gluttony and overconsumption. And if you hear tonight in this kind of thought of enjoying God is new. It's like a foreign concept. Like you've been to church and you've heard, yeah, God is somebody to obey for sure. Like there are rules. I know this thing, I know what this is about. This is about rules. And, but you're talking about like enjoyment, like a personal God who actually doesn't just want your service, but your love and actually has something for you. Like that might be a foreign concept, and I want to say welcome to true Christianity in the church if it's your first time hearing that. I'm afraid of our quick triggers for entertainment, binging shows and becoming blue light zombies on our phones because ultimately these are not cute, culturally normalized habits. They're actually becoming addictions, and that's a problem, man. Addiction ruins lives, ruins marriages, friendships. It kills you. And what you think we are doing, the stuff we are giving into by our impulses, we, what we think we're just doing to ourselves will affect others. Friends, your appetite actually is nothing but proof that God has created you for something great. But taking excessive amounts of these gifts with no regard for the gift giver is sin. And sin can only lead to death. But remember, your appetite is not the problem, and sin is. The second thing we're going to see, kind of as we get down into it then, is this. Stop listening to your stomach. It will kill you. Right? Jesus is a better king than your stomach, so stop listening to your stomach. It will kill you. Okay? And there's an interesting way the Bible kind of illustrates this and kind of goes about sharing some of this. Uh, you guys heard of manna? bread from the sky, like from the Lord, right? Like God led his people out of slavery and they're wandering around the wilderness and they started to complain because they were hungry. Makes sense. That's fine. Wandering around the wilderness would be tough. But they start grumbling, complaining against God saying, oh, why did you lead us out? Like at least our like captors, at least they fed us, right? And so God provides something called manna and it's bread from heaven that comes every single morning and they're instructed to bring baskets and get just enough for that day. If they got any extra, any excess, it would turn rotten overnight, right? God was literally providing for his people their daily bread and teaching them some important lessons. And this is exactly how Moses in Deuteronomy 8.3 describes what this whole manna thing was about. He said, he, God, humbled you, God's people who ate manna, by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
This is a very uh, popular memory, like passed on through the ages of the Israelites and Jesus rolls up on the scene and he actually brings this stuff back up to prove a very, very big point. He uses this as an illustration, right? Jesus is with a ton of people, 5,000 people, and they don't have enough food and he does something crazy. He multiplies the food and feeds everybody. People are blown away. It's like manna came, but even better. And it was all Jesus's power that did this. And so people ate their fill. And I mean, imagine if I just like whipped out all hundreds of cheeseburgers tonight and you guys are like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I wanted. You would start, you start following me around, see if I would do it again. You said, that's the cheeseburger guy. Let's see if he can do it again. Let's see if he can, every time I get hungry, do that magic trick and do it again. And Jesus has a really, really important lesson he wants to teach his followers, the people in the crowds following him, picking up in John 6, verse 26. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read it for probably just a minute here. John 6, 26 through 34. Listen closely or turn your Bibles there with me. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He goes to the other side of the lake and people are hunting him down, wanting him to prove the power that they had just experienced. And they found him. And they said, when did you get here, right? Like, man, we've been trying to follow you around. And so Jesus answered in verse 26, truly I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for food that perishes, but for food that lasts for eternal life, which the son of man will give you because God the father has set his seal of approval on him, right? Like, hey, you're following me because you want some bread, because you're hungry, but I'm telling you, there's something so much better. And they say, what can we do to perform the works of God, they ask. They're missing. It's like they're talking on two different playing fields here. And Jesus says, oh, this is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he has sent, right? Talking about himself. And then again, it seems like they miss him. And verse 30 says, what sign then are you going to do so that we may believe you? As if they already forgot about being fed a day before. What are you going to perform? Sounds a little disrespectful to the God of the universe. Our ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He, oh, now they're going to quote scripture, Jesus. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus, if you're great, continue to fill our stomachs like the manna filled our ancestors' stomachs. Then we will believe you. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one, is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Again, trying to take their sight and set it on something grander. And they said, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus mirrors this miracle of manna and the people don't get it. Why? Because their vision is no bigger than their stomach or their appetite, right? Jesus here is trying to lift their eyes from their appetites that lead to the grave and set their sights higher to a satisfying bread that will delight them for eternity. The point of manna, even in the wilderness, and the point of Jesus feeding these people was not so that they would fall in love with manna. No, the point of manna was so that you would know the goodness of God. 
the provision of God, the love of God, the satisfaction of God. The point of the gift was a point to a greater hunger, greater need, and ultimately a greater gift giver, God himself. In other words, if we only eat manna, if our hope, our satisfaction, and our appetite lead us towards manna, 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 things of the flesh, we will share the same fate as manna, which is to perish. Okay. Hard turn. Have you ever seen Willy Wonka? The old one I'm talking about, not the kind of like other one, the, the old one from like the 80s or 90s. All right, this, I consider this a horror movie. <laughs> I am terrified of it. Um, but Shiv, throw that first picture up there. There's a scene that I watched a couple times on, on YouTube today that messed me up, that I am not so sure I won't have nightmares about tonight. And so this is what happened. Um, this movie, if you didn't know, the whole entire theme in my movie critiquing skills, I think I'm going to give it a full theme of this. You are what you eat, okay? Or to put it another way, the movie is about a creepy old man who brings a bunch of kids into his chocolate factory and teaches them a lesson about gluttony, all right? They all got gluttonous tendencies and he teaches them a lesson and it's messed up. Kid almost drowns in a chocolate tube. Ugh. Kid gets pixelated in a TV. If you haven't seen this, man, you're probably thinking this is the worst sound of movie ever. Kind of is. But this girl has a particular problem where she can't stop chewing gum. Violet Beauregard, you know? She's a snot. And she cannot stop eating gum. She's a glutton. She chews and chews and chews all day long. And eventually, Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder, go Hawks, he gave her a piece of gum, a magic piece of gum that he was working. He said, it's not ready yet. Don't eat it. And because of her gluttony, her animalistic tendencies, she grabs it, pure impulse, and started eating it. She's like, wow, it tastes like a three-course meal, mashed potatoes. And her dad goes, with gravy? And you're like, yeah, totally. And like, then she goes, and eventually she gets to the dreaded dessert. Mmm, the dessert. Where she starts tasting blueberries. And all of a sudden... Her dad says the horrible words, Violet, you're turning violet, Violet. And this is what happens to the little girl. She becomes the very thing that she was eating. And all of a sudden, these little Oompa Loompas come up. And if you don't know what those little spray tan, green haired people are, they are straight out of a nightmare. And they have to roll her away and juice her, which means squeeze the blueberry juice out of her, I guess. <laughs> which is awful, but this is what they sing. This is the creepy song that those little people sing to the plump girl. They say, Oompa Loompa doopity doo. I've got another puzzle for you, okay? You're hooked. Oompa Loompa doopa da dee. If you were wise, you'll listen to me. So it's like a proverb, right? These are like, we have some serious wisdom we wanna share with you. And this is where it gets really interesting. Gum chewing's fine when it's once in a while. It stops you from smoking and brightens your smile. But it's repulsive, revolting, and wrong. Chewing and chewing all day long, just the way a cow does. Mic drop. <laughs> da 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 da. You will live in happiness too, like the Oompa Loompa Doopity Doo. Okay? So please, wait, take that off. Is there another picture that we had? Yeah, zoom in on her. Please get rid of those for everybody watching. But um, 
Gluttony and overconsumption look like this, right? We feast on what we want. We feast on what we believe will bring us what we want. And the reason we keep coming back is we actually keep believing the lies that they will satisfy. So what do we do with that? Okay, what do we actually do about these lies? Okay, let's, let's identify some lies that maybe our appetites, our stomach are telling us and maybe ultimately killing us. Okay, so this is not exhaustive, but this is just a couple I was thinking of about ways our stomach lies to us, okay? So the first one, when we listen to our stomachs, we believe food can and will comfort us, okay? When we believe our stomachs, we believe food can and will comfort us. So let me make a little disclaimer. I am not a psychologist. I am not a trained professional when it comes to disordered eating. I do believe that that exists, and I do believe that we should all seek help if that is something that you struggle with. This is not going to be a fix-all that does not require you to open up to somebody else or to seek professional help, okay? But this is a spiritual side or a pastoral take on the ways I think that food might be hurting us. Okay, so when we listen to our stomachs, we believe that food will and can comfort us, okay? Comfort is good. Nothing wrong with comfort, but our desire for it is often stimulated, brought about, brought to the surface by what? Pain. By something or some way that we were hurt, relational strife, self-hatred, loneliness. They all make us cry out for like true comfort, true rest, right? And enter food. This thing that feels good, like a band-aid covering this. So we indulge to feel better about ourselves, or maybe on the other hand, we completely reject it and punish ourselves to feel better about ourselves. But in the end, the thing that we think we are using, like a sedative or like a Band-Aid or like a cure, like any real addiction, is actually using us. Okay, practically, friends, we must take off unhealthy habits of diet and eating because these are just lies that we are believing. Lies that say food's purpose is to mask your pain, to heal you from your hurt. When actually it was a gift that has a better use of enjoyment. It has a deeper, more profound use from God for health and for enjoyment. That's not a lie. I always think of one of my friends, Drake, who's the salt director up in Minnesota. He would always pray for our meals like this. He would always say, God, thank you for this food. Um, what would he say? God, thank you for this food. And that it helps remind us that we need something outside of us to sustain ourselves. I love that. Like, thank you for this food. And he always put it in right perspective. Like, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to taste good. But really the ultimate purpose is to remind us that we need something outside of us to sustain us. I love it. That's the truth about food. But when we listen to our stomachs, we believe that it was actually for a different purpose to comfort us. And that's not true. Second lie, when we listen to our stomachs, we believe this moment that we're doing right now, like this thing that we're living right now, this moment has actually no effect on the future at all. Right, if I just eat one more, one more episode, one more drink, one more item in the shopping cart, then, well then what? Then you'll be happy? Well, this is what's true. Compromise now, guys, will be felt later. 
Compromise now will always be felt later. Our gluttony, our overconsumption of things that do not satisfy might feel really, really good in the moment. We might be able to justify. We might be at a party. We might be celebrating something. It might be really easy to justify, but you will be building a monument one way or another, maybe of self-control, maybe of something else. Right? Like, it's not a big deal to go get a 10-piece nuggets from McDonald's. I've done it a million times. Shouldn't have said that. I've done it a few times in my life. Like, it's no big deal for, you know, you to hang out, 21-year-old, have a Bud Light, whatever. But you do not want to build a monument, a mountain in your wake of chicken nuggets or Bud Light cans. You know that's not a good look. You know that that actually has a negative effect on your health. And actually overindulging in things like that might actually numb you to the good enjoyment of God. Don't build a monument of chicken nuggets and Bud Light, but one of self-control. What you long for, what you hunger for, will either be leading you closer towards life or closer towards death. And I'm telling you, we can control, when train rather, our appetites. Okay? The last lie I have here is when we listen to our stomachs, we believe we are missing out on something good. Okay? We believe we're missing out on something good, and this is the great lie of media, kind of shifting from like the dinner table to uh, the phone or the computer, right? Like if you're unplugged, this is the lie, you're missing out on something, right? Well, here's the truth, guys. It's kind of fun. You're always missing out on something. Even if you're the most socially connected person on your phone, got all the followers, whatever, you're still going to be missing out on something. Why? Because you're not God, and you're not omnipresent, and you're not omniscient. You can't be everywhere at once. You weren't created to. And as we scroll, do you know what happens? It gets harder to stop scrolling. Doesn't it? We know that. The more we see, the more we want to see. But we have to be wise enough to see that our overconsumption of screens actually is changing us. I'm not saying it's evil in and of itself. I'm not going to get up here and just rant on a hobby horse about how dumb social media is is and whatnot, but you must actually see what's true, what's actually going on, that what we behold, we will slowly become. In comparison to people, like Mikey talked about a couple weeks ago, will never actually leave us as more free, but more in bondage. Friends, we must take off whatever lies we are believing and put on what's true and good. And so the final thing I gotta ask you, what is true and good? Like what is the thing? If we're taking all that, what are we actually putting on? I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say, start listening to Jesus, he loves you. Okay, Jesus picks up in John 6 after his discourse on bread and he says some pretty interesting stuff. He really wants to drive the point home to the people who were setting their sights too low. Their appetite was not actually strong enough because all they wanted was bread. And this is what he has to say. Verse 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jumping down to verse 47, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. Believes. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, they ate the manna in the wilderness, and guess what? They died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He cannot be more explicit. At this, the Jews argued amongst themselves, how could this man give us his flesh to eat? 
That's gross. That's weird. What's he talking about? Comparing himself to manna. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, unless you eat, like this is not optional, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, he's getting even weirder. You do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, oh, he has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate, and they died. The one who eats of this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, and therefore when they, many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Friends, can we accept this teaching tonight? This teaching is hard, but can we accept it? Can we believe that God actually designed us, cares for us, and actually knows what's best? Can we believe that our stomachs and our appetites cannot be satisfied by anything in this earth, but there is a sign pointing to something greater, that we must devour and consume truth if we are ever to be free and know true eternal life? And what is this truth that we are created, intended, even now, to consume? It's the gospel that Jesus is complaining, or complaining, goodness, Jesus is explaining in John 6. He didn't say these things to be confusing. He definitely didn't say these things to be lighthearted and uh, flippant with his words. He wasn't just being metaphorical. In one sense, he was, obviously. But in another sense, he knew the weight of his words because he knew that in order for what he is offering to be made available to all of us, even here tonight, it would require him to be broken. And just like the bread broke to feed these 5,000 hungry people's stomachs, he would be the bread broken on a cross to satisfy the deepest longing of the human soul broken, ripped apart, made available to all who would come and feast. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what is God saying to you tonight? He's saying, I created you to flourish. Come to me and live a life of self-control, not guided and enslaved to your impulses. He's saying, I created you to enjoy me. Come to my table and eat with me. Don't settle for lesser, lesser, lesser things. He's saying, you don't have to find value in your body, the number on the scale or what you look like. But you find value in my body broken. This is what we put on, guys. We put on Christ and only him. And we can be full and complete. Okay, what are, as we take away from this, what are some things that we can actually do this week to say no to lesser appetites and say yes to Jesus? Okay, here's some fun ones. Do at least one of these this week, okay? Nod your head, yeah? You don't even know what they are yet. You're agreeing to something you don't even know. Okay, rapid fire, fun, let's do it. Read your Bible every single day this week. If we become what we behold, and we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God, then it would do good if we opened up the word of God, right? And we heard his instruction for us, and we, he told us the way of life, the way of satisfaction, the way to joy, the way to true freedom. 
Ask your connection group leader, what should I read this week? And because I'm saying it from stage, they have to give you seven straight things to read for guess what, 10 minutes a day. Any of us can do that. Connect group leaders are sweating. <laughs> read your Bible every single day this week. Be washed by the word. Number two, plug your phone in at night, but not next to your bed. Mm. Not next to your bed. You know you don't have to do that? Your alarm, you can probably hear it across the room in the morning. It's crazy. And this isn't even about sleeping in. I'm talking about falling asleep to the blue light on your phone. It is amazing. Like, do you guys know every single Sunday, does this happen to everybody? I'm sitting here on Sunday morning and I get a text on my phone and it's my phone telling me how much time I spent on my phone. Does that happen on Sunday mornings to everybody? It's convicting because it's always at church and it's always a really high number. (laughs) But it'd be better if we had less. As we spend more time in God's word, beholding the risen Christ instead of beholding what other people are doing in their lives that we don't actually care about. Okay, plug your phone in, not next to your bed. Three, fast for a meal. You know what fasting is? It's abstaining from something like food for a period of time. Fast for a meal. Heck, maybe for a day if you're getting ambitious. And while you get hungry, while you have scheduled meal times and you are refusing to eat, even if it's just one, take a prayer walk. Go out and replace meal time with prayer time where you can cry out to God out of your, oh, like your literal, like I want to throw up when I don't eat. Like I'm like, oh, like out of that, like guttural noise, be saying, God, thank you that I need something outside of myself to sustain me. And you are the bread of life. Fast for a meal or fast for a day. And finally, for hardcore Tune out, delete social media for a week just to see if you're missing out on anything. Not gonna harp on it. That's all I'm gonna say. But just see, where is your imagination gonna go when you're standing in line? Where is your thoughts gonna go when you're just sitting on the couch or laying in bed and you don't have anything to scroll through? I don't know. Could be a fun experiment for you and your connection group. Our aim tonight, guys, is this. It's not to add burden to our shoulders but it's actually to find true freedom. And to do that, we must not try and rid ourselves to suppress appetite and desire. No. We need to stir one another to a greater appetite and a greater desire. One that is so powerful that can only be satisfied by the words of God, the presence of God himself. We need an appetite that food, pleasure, and attainment, entertainment will all bow down to in reverence. As Jesus Christ, our King, bends down to feast with us and make us eternally happy with him. So friends, take off the old ways of listening to your stomachs and your appetites which kill you and lean into the warm words of Jesus who loves you enough to be broken for you. And he wants to fill you now and forever. So I hope that we can be a people who enjoy Jesus. Amen. All right, let's pray. Oh, God, you are so creative and kind to create us um, as people who are made to enjoy things. Lord, and I confess in my sin that I have rejected that. I've rejected you. And I followed my appetites to dig wells for myself, broken wells that actually hold no water. 
And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, as we even enjoy one another's company tonight, as we enjoy fellowship and song, would you be at the center of everything? Would you light up our faces with a smile that we could uh, look past the small vision that our stomach gives us and look towards the cross where the God of the universe was broken for us, bled for us, and ultimately proved that he loved us so much that he could satisfy us forever. Yeah, God, would our, would our songs just reflect that truth, that gospel, that good news, that if we have faith in that right now, then our spot is reserved at the feasting table, that the wedding supper of the lamb is ours to attend. And God, we look forward to that day when hunger and thirst are gone, when our gluttony, our overconsumption of things that don't matter is gone, and we just get to be with you. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Because if it was up to me, I wouldn't get there. But you've got us. You've got us. And so I pray that people would have faith right now. Faith again. Faith for the first time. I'd raise their hands and worship and say, yes, God. Like, I'm done being satisfied by stuff that doesn't satisfy. It's not working. But you, Jesus, you are the answer. Thank you, God.